This is Bad Movies We Love, part of the Scheiss Podcast Network. Hello, once again, bad movie lovers. I am your host, Nick Scheist, and welcome to another episode of Bad Movies We Love. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. That's right, and you can help support the resistance by going to coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash badmovieswelove, spelled the conventional way. You can sign up to be a monthly contributing member, or you can just buy me a cup of coffee, as the name suggests. Every donation, no matter how big or how small, goes a long way when supporting an independent podcast like this one. So I want to give a big shout-out and a thank you to my friend Ben for following the Yellow Brick Road and supporting the resistance by buying me a cup of coffee. Thank you, sir. And I look forward to working with you again. And for today's episode, we've got a treat for you as my friend Ryan from Film Club joined me to go three realities deep as we go headfirst into the Snyderverse with Sucker Punch from 2011. Sucker Punch is a fuck you to, to a lot of people that will watch it steampunk action film and then there's a very like out of place musical number in the middle of it what the fuck is this she fights with a sword and there's all this crazy shit dragons etc i thought this was a Zack snyder uh slam bam action movie with a lot of slow motion what's this music music number there's gonna be some people that die you could say was the entire movie a dream no this was intentional it's like no it was not don't lie to us i would consider myself a Zack snyder fan i i would not consider myself in the Zack snyder cult you thought superman's mustache was bad i'm gonna look at this guy's face this movie wasn't bad this movie's awesome Ryan, thank you for joining me on this Friday evening as we dive into a Zack Snyder film that was not well received at all. But, you know, it had hype and it had a lot of word of mouth, regardless of whether or not people liked it. And so it's a movie that always sort of like stuck around in the periphery. And it's been a long time uh, since I've gotten to I see it. I was say it. So oh, first of all, welcome uh, to the show. Uh, well, th- thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, this movie—I uh, believe it, fl- if it. According to Wikipedia, it made like ten million dollars above its budget, which is still considered a flop. Mm. The their Rotten Tomatoes score is low, but there have been petitions to get whatever uh, Zack Snyder's like full-on director's cut uh, to be released, but I don't think Warner has any interest in it. Yeah, at this point, I'd like, I don't know what their relationship with him is. So I don't know that we're ever going to be able to see something like that. Uh, you know, we yeah, just yeah, he's talked with- about this being the extended cut that I watched. So I'm curious to see how different it would be. 
yeah, yeah, from what I've heard, it's pretty much the ending. And also, Snyder, for the most part, has his deal with Netflix. He's got Rebel Moon coming out, parts mm-hmm. one and two. And he's also hinted that, I guess, because of Netflix wanting shorter movies, that, that, that Rebel Moon will come out in December and I believe May or June as a two-part film. And then eventually we'll get an extended cut that's an hour longer that's either they're going to combine it and make it one long four four and a half hour five hour film i guess i don't know how much people want or they'll they'll just just do rebel moon part two the the snyder cut yeah i remember they were sort of talking to tarantino about um django unchained having like a four-part mini series as well structured like that so i'll be curious to see what Zack Snyder's future is going to look like beyond DC now. Um, but as a film fan, like if you could sort of nail down why people think Sucker Punch is a bad movie, like what would you say that is? I remember reading a lot of criticism, mainly because they think it's sexist. Uh, I'm not in one to, to, to discuss that. There's also the the what you could I guess call overuse of slow motion and that the structure feels a little off especially if you watch the uh the extended cut and I believe like the first the first five minutes is all in slow motion where you have uh sweet dreams are made of this uh which Emily Browning the star of the movie actually sang uh I believe that entire scene is in slow motion so if you're not a fan of the Snyder uh uh what were uh, uh <laughs> the Snyder like, way <laughs> the, the, the Snyder way or the Snyder look because I know 300 had uh was critically acclaimed mm-hmm. and uh his Watchmen adaptation was critically acclaimed mm-hmm. mainly because he mainly got the stick with the comic and and add his own flair to it with sucker punch there is there there was no source material although you could argue it's a little bit of Alice in Wonderland yeah I mean it's tough to say because at the time it came out, I remember sort of looking at it like post 300, like this is going to be similar. And aside from it, like using slow motion and showcasing some action scenes, it's very, very different uh, as a film than 300. And structurally, like the back and forth between the dreamland. The, uh, yeah, exactly. The dance, different yeah. worlds that exist. Yeah, you yeah. And also like the the in in the extended cut, the first dream slash action scene is not till a half an hour into the movie. Mm, wow. And also uh the extended cut for I I I believe I don't know what 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 the, there there's a big song and dance number with uh the Oscar Isaac character Carla Regino and it's uh, Love is the drug, which is a which I believe was also used in what Great Gatsby. Wasn't there a version of that that movie too? I have not seen that Gatsby, the Leonardo one. Yep. No, I never watched it. But yeah, but yeah, there's like a five minutes, there's like a five minute big song and dance number, and then at the end of the movie, that same song and dance number is played over the end credits, minus minus some. Um, Minus some of the, the the stuff that was spliced in. Yeah, and but, I want to say that 
like that moment in the movie, it feels like it's building a little bit towards that. Like the way that Snyder used music throughout the film, uh, he chose a lot of covers and then to have, you know, two of your stars perform this musical number. I felt like it was almost trending towards being a musical, but they didn't kind of, they didn't want to go like full musical. So they incorporated some of the elements and a lot of the scenes are, are told to music, but not in the way where the characters are directly, you know, singing the songs all the time. Yep. And, and apparently the, the, the ending or at least Snyder's original ending had, I'd have to look it up because it's on the soundtrack. Hmm. Emily Browning and one of the other characters in full on full on singing at the end because they're uh, they've gotten their freedom. Don't we couldn't put it in the uh, the extended cut or and or it wasn't fully finished and they had to release the extended cut for the uh, the Blu-ray release in two or three months, whatever the window was back then. Hmm. I mean, I guess like in watching it, I almost wanted it to be a full musical at some points because it has a lot of that DNA in place. And then when we did uh, musicals for the film club back in March and we looked at a variety of different musicals and different styles, I mean, I feel like this has as much musical DNA in it as all that jazz, which only has one musical number in the whole film and it happens at the end, but there's still a lot of choreography. The music is used to shape a lot of dancing in the scenes. So I feel like this has like a very theatrical presence to it, like as a stage show uh, translated to the screen. I think it kind of does that pretty well. And I mean, it may be off putting for people that are coming from Watchmen and coming from 300 to be like, hey, we love Zack Snyder's style. Uh, We like that he's telling like these particular types of stories. And then you kind of turn it all upside down. And now it's all uh, female heroines, but it keeps uh, the action in place. But then it's telling these kind of like three parallel narratives all together and not really telling the audience which one we're going to be in at any particular time. And also the opening is kind is kind of like semi depressing because yeah. it's basically she <laughs> yeah basically baby doll gets uh uh kills her father and then gets put away and put away and they threaten to lobotomize her and I believe there's almost an attempted rape scene at least twice but it wasn't against her that was I believe the first time she actually speaks in the movie yeah. Uh, she, yeah, I was trying to understand, like, so in the beginning, she, uh, she witnesses her, I want to say her stepfather or her father had beaten her sister to death. I believe, I believe that's, that's what, that's what the movie implies. Okay. And then she tries to kill her stepdad or father and shoots him, but doesn't kill him. And then... He takes her to. He, he he has her put away. Gotcha. Okay. And, and like a, and like a kind of a mental institution. Yeah, and that's like I was in my memory of the film. I was like, okay, it's in a mental hospital, and this is some sort of alternate like escapist reality that she exists in. But then in watching it, it seems like there's three levels of 
reality that exists on top of each other. There is like the actual reality. Then there's like the fantasy that she has crafted of the mental institution. And then beyond that, there's like the super fantasy of her and the sword and the guns and all of like the action stuff that we see. And, and all the team up and, mm-hmm. uh, and you could argue that Scott Glenn could be considered, uh, I'm blanking on the term. The the, the, the the term uh, uh, Mr. Exposition. Yes. <laughs> where, where it's basically his job is to explain the plot and to explain what, what they all have to do. Yeah, I like the idea that he and Zack Snyder are friends and Zack Snyder wrote this role for him to just come in and be like, in case the audience is confused, we're going to have Scotty here walk you through it because we know there's a lot going on and it may be a little hard to track. So get on the bus and he's going to hold your hand. And granted, that's granted. That's kind of like the way he always talks, but you could argue it's a little, maybe not stiff, but, uh, but, but like, like I have like monotone. If you, if you yeah. were, where it's like, I'm here because Zack Snyder at begged me to do this role, but but I'm getting paid, so I'll just show up. I'll get to play these interesting roles or the, these these weird roles. Also, when 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 he's the general, is he supposed to be like a Nazi? Because he isn't he isn't he doesn't he have like the uniform? Yeah, that's kind of confusing because I think they're fighting. They're fighting Nazis. against the, they're, they're fighting against <laughs> the Nazis slash Germans, but. In, I believe it's supposed to, yeah, I believe it's supposed to be like World War One because you have the okay. Zeppelin and you have the trenches because I don't yeah. think the trenches were a part of World War Two. Yeah, I don't remember. I know that a lot of World War One films have focused specifically on trench warfare and sort of like the whole mentality behind that. I mean, I think like 1917 uh, was one of those. War Horse was another one fairly recently. And that's uh, uh, Kubrick's Paths of Glory. Yeah. So. You're you're probably right. Um, so I don't know. Maybe he was like just dressing the part to get them to where they needed to go. But then they're fighting like robots or I don't know. They're made of like steam or gas or something. And he's even tells them like they're not even people. You can just kill as many as you want, like as uh, <laughs> as violently you as can, you, you want. Can, don't you worry can, about it. Yeah, pretty much. And also, apparently, the they they made or Snyder made the actresses actually do the do the training and do and i don't know if you want to call it put in the work and not and not just basically let's 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 do i mean i mean i'm sure they did all most of this on green screen but it's not of the all right we're gonna we're gonna you're gonna pretend to shoot some shoot shoot and then we're gonna cut to a stunt person do it for you you're gonna have to actually put in the work you're gonna have to learn how to shoot guns you're gonna have to learn how to fight you're gonna have to learn how to dance yeah, a lot of the training that I was reading about was uh, surprisingly extensive, but I think it lends itself well to the type of film that they're making here because you do get to have these actresses in these situations, like you said, without having to go to a stunt double. Like It, it allowed a certain type of freedom when making creative decisions on how Snyder wanted to film some of these scenes. So... I think in the in the long run, ultimately uh, beneficial and like interesting to read that when they were shooting that opening scene with Emily Browning, like she couldn't unlearn the gun training. So like she's supposed to not know what she's doing at that point, but she couldn't like unlearn it 
to shoot the beginning of the film. So interesting little. Uh, I wonder if they sh- if they, they would have shot that either near the end of filming, where sometimes because obviously you shoot shoot out of order. Mm-hmm. If that was either shot shot at, or they did all the the, the gun training and all all before film. Well, they before filming, and they probably they may or may not have shot that scene towards the end. Because a lot of times, I guess, films want to shoot the beginning scene near the end so that so that the actors have a grasp of what they're doing or or, or have a grasp on on what kind of film they're making so that when they go back to the beginning, they 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 know where it's going. Yeah, that makes sense. And like the beginning of the film uh kind of like is different than the rest of the film as well so just in terms of the tone that you want to have you probably want to do as much of the action shooting as you can while everybody's in that mode and then we'll go back and shoot the connective tissue and put all that stuff together but uh let's go back and let's look at the trailer because i haven't seen the trailer for this movie in quite some time and i think uh, this, i think this is the theatrical trailer yeah go ahead also something that i are we allowed to talk over the uh, the trailer? Oh yeah, of course. Before we move on, it's time for a quick word from our sponsor. Are you experiencing feelings of melancholia? Are there some feelings of desolation or sadness that you just can't place? Well, you're not alone. But if you're anything like me, it's tough to find the time to prioritize such concerns in our busy lives. Well, not anymore thanks to lobotomies in a blank. All it takes is a little push. Well, that plus a really long stainless steel spike inserted into the brain's frontal lobe via the ocular cavity and a cute little surgical hammer to give it a little tap tap taparoo. But don't bother burdening yourself with the details because after the procedure, you won't have a care in the world anyway. So step right up and put your worries to bed with lobotomies in a blink. Side effects may include hallucinations, flights of fancy, fire-breathing dragons, random musical numbers, little manicured mustaches, thinking you can dance, a fascination with samurai swords, cameos from character actors, and lots and lots of slow motion. Consult a physician if any of these conditions last for longer than two hours and seven minutes. And now, back to the show. Also, what I've noticed, too, is that, at least in 4K, the opening 5, 10, 15 minutes almost feels like it's in sepia tone. Mm. and and very and very little bit in color and then when you get to the fighting and 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 especially like the big musical number all the colors just burst out which i assume was i assume that was intentional yeah and uh since we had talked about that musical number uh as well that is featured like that whole performance in the middle of the film has that going for it too like it it's you know big bright reds blues you know uh glittery costumes and all that so it's an interesting choice to make but yeah like when you're looking at the beginning of this like it's all slow motion it's very sort of drained of the majority of its color to I don't know maybe it's not like not dehumanizing is not the right word but it's definitely meant to give us knowledge i had forgot they used the the led zepp let the levies break or when the levies break which is not in the movie yeah surprisingly because it's got a really good soundtrack yeah yeah although although i know the led zeppelin charges a lot of money for it 
they spent their budget on the the commercial for it. Don't me to reach your own paradise. Just let go. And do we ever actually see her dance? I don't think so. I don't think we actually do. She just does this thing with her shoulders, yeah. and, and then they're in this and, alternate and well, then, reality. And then they, and then, and then they imply throughout the, the what, what that, that she does get to dance. Yeah, that she's an amazing dancer. In fact, yeah. so amazing that anybody that watches her dance is essentially hypnotized. Yeah, this movie's got a dragon in it. <laughs> a large army of robots and steam-powered Nazis. The fifth thing is a mystery. Begin your journey. It will set you free. I mean, obviously the trailer is like showcasing the stuff that visually looks the best. I mean, you have like a yeah. sam samurai statue with a Gatlin gun. And of course, hyping that it's from the director of Watchmen 300. Mm -hmm. And if you watch this trailer, you kind of say, say, say it, it's it's basically that. Yeah, I don't like most people probably went into this movie expecting sort of like a relentless action film, and then when it slows down and gets into this real world where you know she's the prisoner in this mental hospital. Well, see, also getting very confused. Then again, also the beginning of the the, the trailer does kind of hint hint at that, but also the beginning of the trailer in the actual movie, it takes five minutes for that to happen. Yeah, and it doesn't. It's like it shows you that there is a reality, but I think I I guess my assumption going into the movie was that like she's in this place and she needs to escape but the sort of like action and stuff we see in the escape and all the battles like all that stuff is actually real but it's it turns out that it's not and this is like a third layer of reality because i i was like struggling to really be like okay there's two here there's one that's very clearly defined as like the fantasy world where she fights with a sword and there's all this crazy shit dragons etc then there's this other world where oscar isaac has like his fancy mustache and he's always wearing like a tuxedo <laughs> top and you know it's you it's carla glamorized Gugino. in this way and you have carla carla Gugino playing the the boss and also mm -hmm. with uh with a russian accent very strange but, but the kind of russian <laughs> accent where you kind of expect her to say i want i want you to go find me moose and squirrel <laughs> yeah and it's the same with same with like jennifer lawrence and red sparrow oh you, you half expect you half expect her to say bring me moose and squirrel yeah red sparrow's a whole nother conversation but yeah that yeah. accent was a, a struggle for the runtime <laughs> uh but so you've got yeah, you've got the crazy fantasy world where like anything goes. You've got the other fantasy world that she sort of glamorized the existence of their their psych hospital into like a brothel, I guess. Yeah, I think that, yeah, the, the brothel part is where they is where the love is the drug number kind of mm -hmm. comes in. And then we like at the very beginning, she sits down in the chair and like the needle is about to puncture her eye or go into her brain and give her a lobotomy. And then like the whole rest of the movie unfolds. And then at the very end, we're pulled back and we realize that like the lobotomy is 
finished. So now we're back in like the base reality where everything is taking place. <laughs> you could you could say was the entire movie a dream? Yeah, that's or a good was question. It was, and I believe this came a year inception was 2010, right? I think so. So it would have been like a year, a year or so after inception. But I assume this was in in production or in in thoughts well before inception came out. Yeah, I, I would have to think so. But looking at how just the way that that is structured, where it's sort of like a reality within another reality at within another reality. I, I was trying to sort of piece it together as we're going, like what is really happening here? Cause it seems like at the very lowest end or the, the bottom rung of the ladder, she is a prisoner of this mental institution. And it seems like they're still being exploited. Oscar Isaac is probably pimping them out in some capacity still it seems that to be the case because there's yeah. also the, there's also the threat of of like the cooks and the mm -hmm. and the big people sexually assaulting and or attempting to rape yeah so, so i guess i'm just curious like where where the decision to sort of like glamorize that aspect of it into this more colorful thing where it's like oh we're dancing and then the high roller showing up and it's like, you know, they're in a nightclub and everybody's dressed well. And like, where, where do you think the creative decision came to sort of like layer that extra piece on top of it between the, the gritty, disgusting actual reality. And then the hyper stylized, like super reality. You'd have to ask. Uh, I haven't read too much. Have you seen any interviews where he's discussed this or no. because it, 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 this is from the Snyder's mind. So this mm -hmm. is, I guess, this also could be him saying this is this. Maybe not this is bad, but this is like the reality for a lot of women of a certain certain maybe not type. And it, and it's supposed to be like an escapist because I know he said that this is supposed to be a feminist movie. And I guess that's why a lot of people call it the exact opposite, mm. because I know it had this movie does have its fans. Yeah. Are you one of them? Because you brought I, this to my show. <laughs> I am. I actually got to see this in IMAX and oh, wow. or or IMAX the opening Thursday. And everybody from from what I could tell enjoyed it. So the so the box office didn't didn't really say so. Uh, there have been a little bit of reappraisals here and there, but it's nothing loud like, say, uh, say other movies. Mm. Uh, uh, like, like sometimes when a movie hits their anniversary, they'll say, oh, yeah, that movie, this movie wasn't bad. This movie's awesome. Yeah. I mean, we're still what we're we're not 13 years. Yeah. So maybe around the time it hits 20, people will look back at it because like I've, I've watched a handful of films recently where I've heard men describe the movie as feminist and I'm looking at the movie like I don't necessarily think that's the case but in terms of Sucker Punch I would say that 
this is probably more feminist than those other films that I had watched that were getting the label placed on them. But those other movies were also older. So maybe more time in between, you know. Well, I guess also because you have, do you, is if would this be considered a girl kicking girls kicking ass, uh, uh, like like subgenre movie? Yeah, I think so. And and with and I believe this is the first Snyder movie with a maybe not female, but I was going to say first Snyder movie with female lead, but original Dawn of the Dead, right? Uh, or not, 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 the, the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Yes. With 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 who with uh, what's her face? It's now an Oscar winner. It, it's weird seeing like women talking and Sarah. Yeah, yeah, Sarah Pollock. Hmm. Where 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 she gets all the praise for the direct directing, and basically people like me and people of a certain age are like, oh yeah, she's the girl from uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah. And now I- she's this big acclaimed director, and now an Academy Award winner. Yeah, I remember her from Splice mostly. She was in right. Spl- uh, That's the uh, one with her and Adrian Brody are like scientists and they're making like a alien human hybrid creature. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's, that's a little that's a little weird one. Oh, that's definitely a weird one. Uh, <laughs> that that might end up on this show at some point. I know people didn't necessarily care for that one too much. either. I, but, didn't that get an F on cinema score? Uh, I mean, I would not be surprised, but I don't I don't think it's that bad. But I mean, it, it's been I mean, a while it, since I've seen it. Then again, killing the not not the jump off topic, but but if you want to go, I don't know if you want to call it a bad movie we love, but uh, uh, Andrew Dominic's killing them softly. Although I believe the critic score was mid, like in this like in low seventies, high sixties, mm-hmm. low seventies. I'd have to look it up, but but the audience is fucking hated it, wow. and I believe they gave it an F cinema score. That's and the movie absolutely flopped. Yep, I like that movie, but again. I do too. I love that movie, <laughs> but but I guess audiences sometimes are like, "Hey, it's a Brad Pitt movie." Oh, hey, Brad Pitt doesn't show up for thirty minutes into the movie. Hey, it's got this. Uh, you could argue it's got this political agenda. Hey, it just suddenly ends. Yeah, and it's like an atypical sort of like gangster mafia movie as well. So if you were going into it expecting a traditional mafia film, it's not exactly that either. It's, yeah, so it's doing its own thing, which I appreciate, but I could understand why, you know, the average movie going public didn't like it. But we had sort of glossed over Zack Snyder uh, in general, but we've we talked about several of his other films. And well, uh, uh, he followed this up with some. What well, what was the cartoon he did? Didn't he do? Uh, didn't he do like a like an anime like Rise of the Something Something? Oh, and then he yeah. did Man of Steel. Um, you're right. Uh, no, Man of Steel was after this, I think. But or Man of Steel was his live action follow up. Legend of the Guardians was may have been released in the same year, but it's listed as 2010. Also, yep, that's animated. The Owls of Gahule. I don't know. Also, the writer of this movie, the, the other writer of this movie, mm. it's the his only credit. Steve, <laughs> Steve Shibuya. <laughs> yeah, it's his only. Uh, I don't know what. I don't know how much of the movie he, or how much of the the movie he co-wrote, or if it's all Snyder and somebody just just wrote enough of it to get a credit. But he pretty much has this one credit. 
So either this movie killed his career. <laughs> it didn't kill Zack Snyder's because then I because then Warner Brothers gave him the key to the DC universe. Yeah. So I mean, that begs the next question. Like in general, like are you a, a Zack Snyder fan? And I guess like how do you feel about uh like his career as a whole? I would consider myself a Zack Snyder fan. I I would not consider myself in the Zack Snyder cult. Gotcha. Be- because like the ultimate uh, like like Dawn of Justice I like, I don't love. Uh the Snyder cut, I believe I still think is too long. And I still think that even if even if nothing had happened, uh Warner Brothers still would have made him trim it. Because yeah. uh ba- from what I remember happening, something happened in his family. I believe like uh, a family member died and mm-hmm. he stepped away. And Warner saw the saw this movie at four hours and was like, absolutely not. They also they also remember uh, not Man of Steel, the other one, uh, Dawn of Justice being two and a half hours. And then then and then the director's cuts three hours. So they basically went over and was like, uh, we, we don't want anything over two hours. This movie has to be two hours. Uh, we can't the, the, what what you shot can't be can't be done. So we're going to so and then they brought in Joss Sween to lighten the mood. And then we got one of the worst movie worst uh, superhero <laughs> movies ever made. The, or the, what they call the Justice League cut. <laughs> and I mean, he's also got one of the best superhero movies made in Watchmen. And yeah, like I, so I understand Watchmen needing to be close to three hours because you're taking like a pretty big graphic novel and adapting that and you want to do it justice and you're not turning it into a mini series. You don't know if you're going to get like a sequel. So you need the the runtime. Yeah. Also, also, I believe the theatrical cut is 165 minutes. The director's cut is a hunt. They added about 20, 25 minutes into it. Oh, wow. And then also they added the there's like a there's like a sub comic in in between called the curse of the owl. I believe that mm. also has Gerald Butler. That oh, was okay. that was that was uh, animated, and there's like an ultimate edition version that's like 217 minutes that spices in the cartoon as well. Are you a fan of like seeing a director's final vision? Like because like I guess what it boils down to a lot with Zack Snyder here is that. You know, he is he'll bow down to the, he'll bow down to the studio uh, masters and 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 we'll be like, all right, fine, I'll cut. I'll I'll make the cuts that you want me to make. But I want I want to be able to, to, to go in and do my own do my own like director's cut. Although like Man of Steel, I don't believe has a direct or or he hasn't said anything about like, like, oh, my God, they the, the studio butchered my movie. Yeah, like Man of Steel is an interesting one because I think like I liked it, but there's things that I strongly disliked about it. So it's like an interesting balance. Superman between... killing a lot of people? No, I mean, like, I assume that that's probably happening when Superman fights any other superpowered person is that there's going to be some people that die. But it was more like I feel like by the time that Man of Steel rolls around, like we've seen 
super we know superman's origin story where i don't need a half an hour of his dad on krypton acting like we've Iron seen Man this before and writing a dragon like it's avatar i'm like it's it's just stealing from like way too many other movies that were popular right before it in order to sort of like build up a part of the superman story that really isn't relevant to the rest of it and then the runtime is like two and a half hours on that one as well so you could have had a, a tight two-hour movie with superman and you saw when they brought back spider-man and they cast tom holland like they don't even retread it it's just like yeah i got bitten by a radioactive spider whatever let's get the movie rolling so it's like treating the audience with enough uh res- like respecting their intelligence enough to know what superman's story is and it's not a, uh, and it's not, it's not, it's kind of, I guess they wanted to do like a reboot, but I believe it, General Zod is in Superman, in like the, the, uh, the Richard Donner movies. Yeah. General Zod is in two. And he, and he's at, the, he's at the beginning of one, at one, and then gets shipped off. And then he's mostly in two. Yeah. Two is like his movie. And I guess Snyder, wa- Snyder wanted, uh, wanted more generals on. I mean, look, I, I don't blame him because I think Michael Shannon is a very good villain in that film. And I like the story of Zod and sort of being the enemy of his father. And I like all of those things that they did. And it's a more emotionally based Superman than we had gotten in some of the other films to that point. So I like that as well. Um, and then we get to Dawn of Justice, which I think just suffers from some of the same problems in that it is when it's good, it's very good. Like the, just the Batman versus Superman part of that movie is very good. It just takes two hours to get, it just takes two hours and well, actually no, 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 no. In the theatrical cut, it takes about an hour and a half in the director's cut. It takes about two hours before the big fight. Yeah. And then it's like, hey, we're fighting. And then also also we're going to shoehorn in Wonder Woman into this story. Oh, and Doomsday, by the way. So we're going to like burn through some really good uh, stories in the Superman world and just go through that all very, very quickly here at the end of the film where it's like the death of Superman, the rise of the Superman, like all that stuff has a lot of legacy behind it. So to sort of reduce it to just a big like free for all fight with the four of them at the end of the film. It just like, it felt like too much. Like if you're really building a bigger universe, then just let this be Batman versus Superman. And then we'll get to the next movie down the line. Like we know it's coming. So you don't have to like make this happen right now. And also you could argue that, that that they, they kind of shoehorn bat or Superman into that story. And and or they wanted to do or I think Snyder wanted to do Dark Knight Returns. Mm. And, and that's and because that's the that's kind of like the big Superman Batman versus Superman fight moot fight uh, comic. Also, I like that 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 uh, Michael Shannon basically didn't give a shit when he came back for uh, the Flash. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you know what? Sometimes it's just a paycheck and Zach gave me his blessing. So it's fine. Yeah. Hey, Michael Shannon deserves to get uh, an easy payday here and there as well. But then we go from uh, Dawn of Justice. I mean, obviously, we know what happened with Justice League. But like you said, the Snyder cut of Justice League is four hours long. There is no absolute (laughs) goddamn way 
that Warner Bro that if nothing happened, Warner Brothers would still say, "Hey, this is a great movie. Can you lose an hour? Can you lose maybe an hour and a half, and then yeah. we can think, and then we can think about it." Yeah, it's like had they broken it up into two halves and done like, "Hey, we're gonna do the the first half of Justice League where they're trying to." get to superman and bring him back and then that's, that's the end, end of part one end, yeah end of part one is super they get their ass kicked by superman and he leaves and then part two is all right well we have to fight without superman and then he shows up at the end saves the day like at least like that makes some sense but to to be the filmmaker and i guess when there was enough fan demand behind the snyder cut it was like it doesn't matter if it's eight hours long at that point like the people that want to see it are going to sit down and watch it maybe not in one they, sitting but yeah they ba- yeah basically with with the snyder cut demand it was all right all right fine we know we screwed him over and also we got a pandemic going on and we're not going to have we're not going to have to put this in theaters let's just mm-hmm. let Zach do whatever he wants to do and if it's 6 hours long Oh well, yeah, and it's like I'm. Let's generally... put in every. Let's put in every deleted scene, <laughs> and also <laughs> every cut scene, and also Snyder said that there is absolutely no uh, Joss Whedon footage in his cut. Mm. That makes sense, and his vision well, is darker. You know, like overall physically, it's not as bright as uh, Whedon's Justice League. Well, also I like too that. Uh, do you remember not the not this kind of straight off topic, but do you remember the whole mustache gate? Oh yes, from the Justice League, <laughs> where where basically Paramount said, uh, he would uh, Henry Cavill was doing Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. one of the Mission Impossible movies, and he was still in the middle of filming, and then they told him, hey, we hey, you need to come back for uh, for for uh, Justice League reshoots. And Paramount's like, well, no, uh, no, he has this mustache and he cannot shave it. <laughs> and I guess Warner was like, all right, all right. And then they they badly CGI'd out his mustache. Yeah, look, credit to Paramount, though, for just being so petty that they're like, screw you. He's not shaving his mustache. If you want to deal with it, you have to spend money. I believe he did it on CGI I- it out. I believe he's he did it on break because remember how Tom Cruise broke his ankle? Yeah. I believe what I believe uh Cavill did his little cameo with the mustache in d- during during breaks or during a break of that. Yeah, and the result was we got Shrek face Superman. <laughs> but also like it makes more logical sense that if Superman is still alive and he was buried like clean shaven and then they dig him up after a while that his facial hair would have grown. So it just didn't like even like you should have had him pop out of the ground looking a little scraggly and not like the Clark that went into the casket. So just leave the mustache and get a whole beard going with it. Uh, also, go, go, going back to uh, going back to Soccer Punch for a minute. Yeah, apparently, no, well, let's get back yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, this movie also had an almost cast where we were Amanda Seyfried was almost uh, baby doll, but I, I think she was busy. Yeah, and I believe I names attached. I believe I saw Emma Stone was attached at one yeah. point. Yeah, I think, you know, in hindsight, like if you're talking about stuff like reappraisal, I think in the wake of she won the Oscar, right? For La La Land. 
Uh, Evastodia. Yeah. So, like, in the wake of her popularity exploding and her being an Oscar winner, I think a movie where she was the lead that was uh, underappreciated at the time, like, if it were her, people would be more inclined to go back and revisit her older work post-Oscar and check that kind of stuff out, where... You know, this has a, a really good cast, though, with, you know, Oscar Isaac and Carla Gugino and Jenna Malone and Vanessa Hudgens and Abby Cornish, and- Jamie Chung, John Hamm, Scott Glenn. So it's like this is a really well cast film that isn't like bursting with like top tier A-list talent. But in hindsight, it's like they, they put in the work. Oscar, they did. And you look at like Oscar Isaac, his career has gone on to be huge after this and 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 when when i tweeted out the other day that i was re-watching this i basically said hey i'm i'm re-watching the movie where oscar isaac gets to sing and dance but it's not inside llewellyn davis (laughs) and it's not uh and it's not ex machina (laughs) yeah i saw that and uh i was like oddly enough this role for him he's in a mental institution that has mixed realities which is basically a similar premise to what was going on when he did Moon Knight. Was it last year? The year before? Moon Knight was, I I want to say last year. Yeah, it sounds about right. And apparently Brie Larson po- would have been post uh, Scott Pilgrim audition, but they didn't say which part she was up for. Mm. But yeah, you mentioned that musical number uh, and we had talked about it a little bit, but I th- that's Oscar Isaac singing, right? Absolutely. On the yeah. soundtrack, it's both uh, Oscar Isaac and Carl uh, Cutino. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed that. And uh, my fiance is a big fan of musicals. And we go see, you know, like stage shows at the local theater out here. And so when it was happening, I was like, I was like, is that Vanessa Hudgens? Because I was like trying to like, I, I was like, I think you might like this if you watched it, because it's not really <laughs> her type of thing. But I was like, hey, it's got a lot of like style. There's a big musical number. Uh, she likes Vanessa Hudgens. So I was like, all right, maybe there is some room here. Uh, so I was like, hey, take a look at like this scene <laughs> in the movie where like everything is bursting with color. There's dance numbers, exotic costumes. I was like, this this part's great. Did, did she bail? Did she watch the whole thing with you? She didn't start it with me, so oh. I just I got her attention and I was like, oh, I think you might like this if we give it a chance at some point in the future. But now that I own it, I can watch it whenever I want. Yeah, but but yeah, that that musical number is something. Yeah. And they I mean, replay it at the end of the movie, too. I mean, yeah, you got to get your money's worth out of that because it's so good. I mean, uh, although although in the in the in the theatrical cut, that scene is not in the movie. Oh, in, okay. the theat- in the theatrical cut. Love is the drug is only at the end. Interesting. Because I think like watching the extended cut, it's it's kind of like this weird moment in the film where like obviously the reality is like getting further and further away from where we started. And I I see it. I'm like, okay, like where do you get this little like fancy mustache and jacket from? I was like, did I miss that? I was like, all right, well, just let me let me watch it and see what happens. And it's like this very well produced musical number. And I get that if you present this to the studio and you're saying, hey, it's like steampunk action film, and then there's and then, a very like out of place musical number in the middle of it, then maybe you want to cut that. <laughs> and also, this is this this big elaborate almost five minute musical number mm-hmm. is before any of the fantasy action scenes <laughs> that we have sold this movie, sold this movie and sold the trailer on. And, and, and so it's like, yeah, that probably, it probably won't really fit because then you'll see, 
wait a minute, are we did did I just walk into a musical? I thought yeah. I thought this was a Zack Snyder uh slam bam action movie with a lot of slow motion. What's this music music number? Yeah, and it's kind of like it's an interesting just comment on like creativity as a filmmaker because like we were accustomed to the stuff that had come before this. It's like we approach this as the audience as wanting to see a certain type of thing. It's like when you listen to a musical artist that is evolving, right? And it's like, oh, I love their first two albums. And then, hey, they're on albums three and four and their sound is changing. And it's like not the sound. It's not the sound that I got into, but they have to evolve to keep growing the audience and like improving as musicians. And and or pissing off the people that 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 started I uh, smashing pumpkins with Ava Adore. Because they Smashing Pumpkins started as like a post grunge band, mm-hmm. almost all rock and roll, and then on their third album, or no fourth album, there uh, Billy Corgan's like, yeah, I, I I'm not I'm not into the whole rock thing anymore, or rock rock and roll, or the my, the post grunge sound is kind of kind of eh for me. So he so the entire album of with Ava Door on it is is a lot of dance dance electronica, a lot of that Nine Inch Nails kind of sound. Mm. It divided the fan base of the band, and eventually they kind of went back to it. You could argue same with Radiohead, where Kid A is not uh, OK Computer. Yeah. I mean, do you prefer like not just music, but like in general, do you prefer uh, like the artists that you like to sort of stay, stay the same? Yeah, uh, I listen to a lot of heavy metal okay, and and, and a lot of the so-called screaming stuff. Mm-hmm. And I am not a fan of when bands try to stop the screaming in order to I can understand if it's to prolong their, their vocalists. uh uh, voice, but I'm not a fan of when they try to do it to appease radio. Mm. Because what's also funny is that bands will do that, but they'll still have one or two screaming songs on the album. So, if, so there will be people that will buy that will hear, uh, let's just say, Trivium do a do a, a non screaming song, and they'll play it on the radio, and it'll get it'll get some play on like whatever the mainstream rock station is. And then when they buy the album, it's like, rah, 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 rah. and then <laughs> and then everybody and then the, the people that don't like the screaming stuff is like, what's all this screaming stuff? Yeah. But they have they, they have to <laughs> they they have to please the fan base. They all there's all most bands that that try to abandon screaming like I think like a day to remember for the most part have abandoned it. They'll always put one or two songs on there. It's like, fine, this is for our older fan base, but we don't like this music anymore. Yeah. The Smashing Pump Smashing Pumpkins kind of do it, where like like Billy Corgan's like, I don't like rock music. I want to do my own crazy weird thing, but the fans the the, the people want to hear the rock stuff, so I'll put one or two rock songs on my out al- on the next Pumpkins album. And those are usually the best songs on the album. Yeah, and it's like a it's a weird position for bands because it's like a more collaborative thing where you've got probably multiple musicians within the group who are like, hey, I like playing the music that we want to play or but our lead singer wants to write different music, you know, stuff like that. But 
like do do you see Snyder events maybe not evolving, but essentially doing uh different because remember his first movie was a horror movie, mm-hmm. and and a very uh, a well received horror movie, and then he and then he went and did his own thing. Yeah, and I if guess... I remember if I remember correctly, there is not a lot of slow motion in uh in uh, Dawn of the Dead. No, not from what I remember, but. I will ask you then, how did you feel about Army of the Dead? I don't think I ever watched it. Uh, okay, fair. I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I will eventually, but but when it came out, I was I apartment you couldn't you couldn't watch it with like full on surround sound, and anytime mm. I feel like watching it, it's like eh, it's two and a half hours. <laughs> I want to watch something short. Yeah, I know. It's like I. I, I typically don't sit down to watch a movie until it's like after 930. So I'm like, all right, shit, what is two hours or less? And then I spend half an hour scrolling and I'm like, now I'm screwed. And, and, right. and then you and then you and then you look, it's like, it's like <laughs> I want to watch that. What's the runtime? Two hours and 20 minutes. Fuck. Yep. Uh, 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 <laughs> there, that movie's 90 minutes. Reads it. Reads oh, yeah, that movie's depressing. It. Fuck. I don't want to uh-huh. watch that. Yep. And then and then by the time you're done scrolling, it's like. Oh, I want to watch that. Looks at the time. Oh, it's 11 o'clock at night. God damn it. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to watch the first like 40 minutes before I pass out. And then I'll I'll see if I want to finish it the next day. Yep. Also, uh, uh, b- before I forget, mm-hmm. this uh, Sucker Punch is what got me into Bjork. I can see why. Because I I I don't remember if I saw Dancer of the uh, Lars von Trier's Dancer in the, Dancer in the mm-hmm. Dark for Sucker Punch. I may have, but it didn't. It didn't lead me into into let's go through let's let's go through Bjork's discography and become yeah. a fan. This is what made me become a fan. Yeah, and I think it speaks to sort of uh, what I was saying earlier about like the the musical quality of this film, where it's like when that song comes on, it is like telling the story of what we're seeing on screen in a way that very much reflects sort of the spirit of musicals. And then the reason that I asked you uh, sort of about like um, the question about like artist changing over time is because in watching this, it felt to me like sucker punch is essentially two movies that are sort of like stitched together at key points where Snyder kind of wants to do away with, with, or tries, wants to try something else and then kind of gets, I don't know, but you want to say forced because he directs the hell out of these scenes. Yeah. And then it's like, Hey, but Hey, my, my audience wants to see girl, people kicking ass and shooting guns and a fuck ton of slow motion. Yeah. And it's like that, all exists as like one thing and you could trim out like all of sort of the the fantasy action stuff and put that together and have it be a cohesive start to finish story and then you take this story of this young woman who was abused who ends up in this mental institution where she continues to get abused and it's a very different movie that's a lot darker and a lot more serious but it seems like the dna for that idea is it's there. still there yeah and all yeah yeah pretty much uh the, if we ever got to see baby doll do a full-on dance like we're like like the movie kind of teases mm-hmm. that's kind of that if, if snyder wanted to do a musical or remake the movie in 
10 years with a different cast and play basically say i'm not doing action scenes i'm doing the movie but but where instead of instead of the big action scene we actually get like a big dance number that's a good point and i would be curious if you were to take sort of like the baseline story of the mental institution the abuse that's going on there all that stuff make it its own film make a companion film that is all of the fantasy action and sort of do it as a double feature rather than them coexisting in the same movie if they just have more room to breathe as individual ideas and if it's more well received like i don't know how much uh is left in the director's cut right you've got uh snyder has been asking warner warner hey that the extended cut was not my director's cut. That was just put rushed, gotcha. rushed in. And if Warner, I don't think there's enough demand. But if but if yeah. he gets in this good graces with Warner Brothers again, and or James Gunn wants him to do something, they've claimed that that David Ayer, we might get an Ayer cut of, of Suicide Squad, which oh, apparently his cut apparently his cut is very very. Did you ever see the Comic Con trailer? uh maybe back when it first launched but it's not it, like, it's stepping very to the front of my mind it's very very different from the, the the version that we saw it's it's much more darker and sinister which you would expect from air yeah and then i guess warner didn't want to go that route so they made him change a bunch of stuff and we got the mess that we got yeah, well, I mean, hopefully with the kind of like the cost saving measures that Warner is trying to get into right now, like it may be more financially feasible to sort of milk whatever money is available in releasing director's cuts than financing $250 million movies that flop, you know, so maybe maybe there's some hope out there for stuff like well, hey, that. Well, well, hey, Barbie made a fuck ton of money and is their n- number one. I believe it's considered their number one highest grossing film of all time, oh, I guess, wow. for inflation. And that movie only costs $100 million to 150 And they spent it well. So, I mean, that, yeah, that yeah, yeah. All speaks of that a is lot on, about Greta Gerwig. Yeah, all of that that is on the screen. It's not yeah. like The Flash where it's like, where did, 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 did some of this money go up the, up, <laughs> up noses or to, or to protect Ezra Miller? Maybe. <laughs> or the, the, mean... the Ezra Miller d- d- defense fund? Yeah, I mean, because some of that, like the CGI choices, trying to defend that is like, no, this was intentional. It's like, no, it was not. Don't lie to us. This is horrible. You thought Superman's mustache was bad. Wait till you see. uh, Get a look at this guy's face. Or wait till you see that. Like, like I saw the I haven't watched. I know it's on HBO Max, but I haven't watched it. Uh, Flash. Yeah, I might. But then again, it's like it's two and a half hours. Do I really, really, really want to see? I mean, Michael Keaton's my favorite Batman of all time. He is my bet. We're granted that he's the one that I grew up with. But do I really want to see him return for one more paycheck? His part (laughs) of it, his part of it is good, but there's a lot of it around it that doesn't add up. But I feel like the one thing that I took away from The Flash mostly was that we were long overdue to to embrace Michael Keaton's Batman again. Like we went, we went so far away from it. And it's like, everybody else has to be Batman. It's like, where was the, the energy to bring Michael Keaton back as Batman? Like when it actually maybe would have mattered, you know? And, and he had two additional performances as Batman, Bruce Wayne that we'll never see. Because apparently, uh, because Batgirl, we all know got canceled. and we'll Mm -hmm. never, we'll never see the light of day. 
And apparently he shot a cameo for uh, Aquaman 2. And apparently they didn't want to go that route. And apparently there have been like three sets of reshoots for Aquaman under three separate studio heads. Because they wow. the, the first one was going to, they were going to bring in Michael Keaton, do like a little, a little bit. Then, then that one studio head got fired. Then they brought in somebody else. I believe that I, I forget who, who this was. And it's like, let's bring in Affleck. Let's have Affleck's uh, Batman do some. And then they saw, and then they saw that James Gunn saw that. It's like, no, we don't want to, we don't want to tie it into the Snyderverse. Snyderverse. So, so, so he's gone. Yeah, the the way that like just the general like DCEU dropped it's a the mess. ball. Yeah, it's like, an absolute mess. I get that they wanted to do things like differently, but the reason that the MCU worked is because they built the foundation for it slowly and they didn't try to, you know, make the Avengers the second movie in the MCU. They took their time. They they built towards that. And I was like, look, if you're DC, just copy the playbook. Just do the exact same thing. Like get your starting heroes in there introduce them one by one like the fact that we're gonna bring in ben affleck's batman and not have a solo batman film for him was just like we don't care enough to do it and that was a problem but uh in terms of sort of like what sucker punch i think represents for Zack snyder is like his creative vision outside of um, like proven source material that like really speaks to like who he is as a filmmaker, because this is a movie that wanted to tell this darker story about like, I guess it's sex trafficking. Um, and he had to do it in a way that still like tried to appeal to the audiences that had watch 300 that I watch Watchmen. So it put him in a very difficult position. And then when you have these two different competing worlds and you sort of like go out of your way to make very clear that the world where all the action, all the fighting, all the violence is happening is not real, then it's like, well, why are we watching like an hour of that in slow motion if none of it's real? Because you're you have this real story underneath all of this that you're not spending time with in order to bring us all of this action that, like, I guess you yeah, probably it's, think it's, that people want. And and also remember the, the actual plot of of where uh, the, the the Scott Glenn character basically is like, you need to get a map, you need to get mm -hmm. a key, you need to get this, you need to get that. And then you'll be and then you'll be free. Yeah. When they go into the real world, Baby Doll actually tells them, "Hey, we need we need a map, we need a key, we need this, and we need that." Mm. So I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm on the the Wikipedia page. Mm. It says, uh, "Legendary Pictures reportedly attributed the movie's failure to becoming a box office hit to movie audiences not accepting a female action hero." I mean, like uh, if, I, if this were made in 1960, maybe. But I mean, you're coming like. Ripley were, and Aliens before this, Sarah Connors before this, Mila Jovovich and Fifth Elements before this, and and uh, the, the Resident Evil movies. Yeah. Although although you could argue that, granted, it was under who was involved involved, but we never really got a Black Widow movie until 10, 15 years after, or until well after her character was introduced. Yeah. 
apparently there were talks of doing a Captain Marvel movie way earlier than it happened, but apparently the guy that was involved in it didn't think women w- didn't want like a a women superhero movie. I mean, like, look, uh, I, I understand. I mean, unfortunately, it's kind of the way things are. Uh, I mean, if, eventually we got one because we had Furiosa yeah. in in uh, several years later, which I believe. Yeah. No, no, Legendary didn't have anything to do with with Fury Road. That was a different production company. But uh, we had that and Atomic Blonde, and eventually we got there. Yeah, it just seems like for a movie like this at the time that it came out to sort of be like putting that foot forward uh, was a good thing in 2011, you know, or what was this? Yeah, it was 2011. 2010. Right? 2010. So yeah, I mean, it's really not that long ago, and Maybe, I mean, I don't know that I had seen Emily Browning in anything before this, but it's like, okay, uh, I, th- I, I know the like, majority of the other cast. Like, 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 Kenner Malone was known for uh, Donnie Darko. Mm-hmm. Uh, had I, Oscar Isaac been in anything, anything major before this? Before I mean, this? I don't, That's a good question. I mean, I don't really want to say that that Sucker Punch is considered his breakout role because... I think I think a lot of times it's of the when people go back and rewatch it, it's like, oh, yeah, it's actually there's Oscar Isaac. I mean, it's like, not, I think he was the lead in Nativity Story, but like that wasn't a movie. Nobody, that, nobody, yeah, nobody exactly. saw that. <laughs> uh, it's like he got some other credits, but I think this is the first one where you would like watch it and then sort of like take. Oh, oh, yeah. He was, in, he was in Born, one of the one of those sequels. And uh I thought uh, what Zack Snyder has said in Red Retrospect, in, I'm always shocked it was it was so badly misunderstood, the movie. I always said that this was a commentary on sexism and geek culture. Someone asked me, why yeah. did you film the girls this way? And I'd say, well, well, you did. Sucker Punch is a fuck you to, to a lot of people that will watch it. Interesting. I mean, I like that, though, because I don't think he's wrong. And I think the movie's failure actually proves his point. But, you know, I don't know at what point in its history that he decided to say that. But like, if you are I mean, you have a to, fan and, of his from 300 and Watchmen, you go into this and you don't like it. It's like, well, what's different about it that you don't like? Well, also, it's like oh, it's all female led. Well, also, if the whole poll, all the female characters look like look like sex objects, which I've heard. Uh, if you watch 300, all the men are shirtless. Yeah. And they're and and are like 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 their muscles are they're clearly spe- they're wearing speedos. Yeah, I mean the the male body is uh, objectified in three hundred as much if not more than what we see of the female body in Sucker Punch. And apparently, Snyder said Snyder, I guess there were there were, he he was contemplating on whether to do this with a male cast. Mm. I think you'd have to change the story completely. And he basically said, "I've I've done a movie with an all male cast. I want to do something with an all female cast, and that's where and that's what he came up with." Yeah, and for the most part, like I do think that this movie is maybe held back a little bit by its uh, rating, like the fact that it's it, it's PG thirteen. It uh, I feel like it sh- it sh- it should be R. The version you watched and the ver- the extended cut is actually rated R. Because of that one scene with John Hamm, that's not even something that I would be like, this is rated R. Apparently, 
they thought that the move that the, at that that it showed showed too much or was was too aggressive. And apparently, when, when Snyder decided he wanted to cut because he still wanted to see it in the movie, mm-hmm. and when they cut it down a bit, it made it seem like he was te- John Ham character was taking advantage of her. And so it's like that's not the that's not the point I wanted to make. And so he cut the scene all together. Yeah, I mean, I I could understand that, at least from Zack Snyder's perspective, not wanting to have like this false version of this important scene in there. Um, But just like in but but yeah, yeah, that wants to be rated R. But yeah, that's that. This cut was rated R and that's the main reason. Apparently, like movie censorship. uh, Great site, by the way, I'm not involved in it, uh, (laughs) uh, has like the differences. And there are a few like 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 bullet hits or blood sprays during some of the action scenes, but it's not a lot. I believe the scene at the beginning where uh, Baby Doll slashes her father in the face, mm-hmm. there's a little a tad bit more blood. I mean, I didn't but, find this to be like a particularly bloody or gory movie at all. And I th- they I th- go th- out of their way to make these robots from, for them to kill. From what I remember. This movie was shot as a PG-13, but because of the, the the scene near the end with John Hamm, it got an R. So they, they, he cut it out of the movie. And when they released the the like the like a directors or an extended cut, that's the version the version you couldn't see in theaters. Gotcha. How do you feel about doing some trivia? All right, go for it. Time for trivia. You, you seem like you studied up, so let's see. Uh, let's go trivia time. Uh, all right. Question number one. So you had already mentioned that Emily Browning, uh, sang one of the songs, but how many song credits does she have total on the soundtrack? Uh, I believe, I believe it's technically two. It's on the soundtrack. It's, uh, it, it's, uh, sweet dreams. And she has a song on the soundtrack at the end, which was supposed to be the original ending, but it's not the original, but it's not in the either cut of the movie. So technically two. Technically two. And then she's featured on Where Is My Mind, which is a cover. Uh, yeah. Pixies. Yeah. Where, so. and, and also the song, song at the end of Fight, Fight Club. Yes, correct. Right song. Different, different artists for this movie, but that is yeah. the correct song. Uh, okay, so question number two, then. The film represents two different firsts for a Zack Snyder film. What are those two firsts? Uh, the first all-female-led movie, and technically the first PG-13. Correct. It's slightly different, but you're right that it is his first all-female-led movie, but it's also his first film that was not an adaptation. Ah, and oh yes, yeah, because 300, 300 comic, Watchmen comic, uh, Dawn of the Dead remake. Yep. And it was also his first film that was not rated R, as you mentioned. So, well, uh, the, the extended cut is rated R. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, because the MPAA is a, uh, the MPAA sucks. Yeah. Not great, to be honest. And I, I tend not to understand certain, ra- certain rating systems. Have, have they, have, has Rebel Moon gotten the uh, rating yet? I don't know, because if it's going, is it going straight to Netflix? It is, but usually their movies get some sort of uh, uh, MPAA or the movies that 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 they have something to do with or that that are thinking of getting theatrical release get get a rating. Judging by the 
Uh, judging by the Rebel Moon trailer, it wouldn't surprise me if it's rated R. Yeah, TVMA or whatever they're going to call it. TVMA. <laughs> Two parts. Uh, okay, so question number three. Um, I, I think you had mentioned this to me yesterday, too, but how far into the movie is it before our main character has a line of dialogue? Almost 17 to 18 minutes, depending on the cut you're watching. Yep, about 18 minutes. So ding, ding, right on the head on that one. Um, and I think one of the mo- more interesting things about the trivia that I was reading. And was also like, the first the first uh, fantasy scene in the direct, in the extended cut is not until about 28 to almost a half an hour into the movie. If you remove the, uh, the, the love is a drug number. It's about maybe 25 minutes. Yeah, and that's a, that's a long time to push back action for a director who has sort of who is uh, who is almost infamous for it. Yeah, and who probably you know got the kind of uh, financial support to make this film based on the strength of those action films that had come before it. Uh, but it was it was interesting and also sad to see that you know I think Jenna Malone was like she wanted to retire after this because the movie was so ill-received and i think emily browning also was thinking about retiring from acting until she ran into Zack snyder so to see that like it meant so much to the people that were involved in it and that yeah it seems it seems like it's failure yeah it seems like that the act that the actresses look fondly upon the movie yeah or at least publicly it's it's in other words this is not one of those movies where where somebody brings it up to somebody like Oh no, that movie fucking was terrible. Yeah. Like, 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 uh, uh, David from Stranger Things. I'm, I'm blanking on his last name. Uh, he said the Hellboy movie was terrible. Oh, David Harbor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he signed the contract to do that movie. <laughs> they just they didn't need to make another Hellboy movie. And if you were going to, like, Ron Perlman's still with us. Just go back to the guy who is Hellboy. And uh, and I get I guess uh, uh, Guillermo didn't want to do it. Yeah, I understand. Well, actually, that. hasn't Guillermo said he wanted to do a Hellboy three? But that's a uh, good question. But, I don't know. He's into like be- miniature model making now. So, well, I believe he's doing a Frankenstein adaptation. Okay, I know he he had mentioned that he wants to do more animated films as well. So, I think that's interesting turns, and it kind of goes back to that thing we were talking about before of like artists that we like veering off of the path of, you know, their tried and true audience. Um, But I like it when a guy like Guillermo is like in a position in his career where he can just do the thing that he wants to do. Also uh, Scorsese, because he's not, he's known for the violent action movies, but he can still do Hugo. He could, he can still do age of innocence, which puts me to sleep by the way. (laughs) Uh, But, but, but yeah, he, uh, king of comedy yeah uh people 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 mock him for for like oh he only does action movies he only does gangster movies but he, he he's he's been willing to to do more than that yeah bringing out the dead is maybe my favorite scorsese movie and that's not like any of the other ones super weird but yeah like jamie chung uh said this was her favorite of her own films uh vanessa hudgens was very uh, complimentary about this, being excited to do something that was outside of the realm of High School Musical as well. So, and then she followed it up with Spring Breakers. Mm, I Spring still Bra- never seen <laughs> You've never seen Spring Breakers? Nope. Oh man, it, it's it's a lot. 
All right. Well, uh, uh, well, also it's Harmony also Korea, that, right? Yep. Well, also that movie also got was it wasn't critically savage, but but audiences fucking hated it because they were they were under the auspices of oh this is let, let's you got the girl from Pretty Little Liars, you got Selena Gomez, and you got Vanessa Hudgens mm. in a in a raunchy R rated sex or like a like a an R rated raunchy movie. Let's go see that. And then it's an artsy movie. And yeah. very weird. All right. Well, I'll have to give it a chance. But we we had watched uh, Beach Bum for Film Club recently. And, and I, I take I it tried. you didn't like it? I tried. I watched it twice. And I was like, maybe it'll be better the second time. And I'll just I'll be fair and give it another chance. Like, I still didn't like it. I liked it more the, a, se- the second I'm time. I'm not a big fan of Beach Bum either. I love uh, uh, Spring Breakers. But Beach okay. Bum... It, Beach bum is a little uh, overindulgent. Yeah, just a tad. <laughs> just a tad. Just a tad. I know. It's like if it were a buddy movie with like McConaughey and Snoop, and they're like on some weird adventure. I feel like okay, I could probably like get into that. Uh, and I just I felt like all the characters around him were characters I wanted to watch more than him. Uh, and people are. I like, mean, they oh, brought in Mc- they brought in Martin Lawrence for yeah. Christ's sakes. Mm-hmm. I know uh, Captain Jack or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, it's like I would, I would, I wouldn't mind seeing more of him, but it's only a cameo. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of same thing with Zac Efron. Like he's one of the more entertaining characters in the film, and he's just he's in and out, and then they're back on the road uh, for, to for Moon Dog to get home. But you know what? That's that's a whole different conversation. Where like I've, I put myself through it already twice, and I was like, look, I I liked it more the second time, so I'll probably. I would like it probably more a third time if I watch it. I just don't want to. <laughs> but do you want to watch it a third time? <laughs> no, I don't. No offense to Harmony Corinne. I mean, I liked kids a lot. Uh, and this just did. Did, did you ever see Trash Hoppers or Gumbo? No, I have not. No, I've heard. Good. Yeah, Good. I've heard people uh, speak a lot about Gummo. Terrible. Uh, Terrible. But but, <laughs> but 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 hey, Spring Breakers will always always be there. I, it's on my watch list and I just need to like sit down and pull the trigger. But since we're talking about what people thought of movies and not liking movies, it's time to go to Critics Corner and we get to check out all of the horrible reviews that people wrote about Sucker Punch. And we're going to get a, a firsthand look at exactly what critics had to say. Uh, um, I read I read Mark Kermode of uh, Mark Kermode absolutely hated it. Yeah, well, he's not the only one because we're starting with the Chicago Tribune, uh, and that's Michael Phillips who gave it a zero. <laughs> uh, only a few movies that have been on this show have actually had zeros attached to them, but he says Snyder must have known in pre production that his greasy collection of near rape fantasies and violent revenge scenarios disguised I've... as a female empowerment fairy tale wasn't going to satisfy anyone but himself. I've heard a lot of people say that, say that, or at least the people that don't like the movie. Yeah, it's like, I, I don't know, the movie that I watched last night didn't feel to me like a rape fantasy. I mean, it felt like these women were in a horrible position and they're trying to get themselves out of it. So to me, that's I mean, not it's, a it's, rape it's, fantasy. I mean, it's not like the idol. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, then, then again, <laughs> also RIP the idol. Here I was thinking I was never going to have to hear about it again. <laughs> 2023 to 2023. RIP. <laughs> very, very short-lived. Uh, let's see what's next on this list. We can go 
All right. The next highest score, or excuse me, the next lowest score is uh, the New York Times. And that's A.O. Scott gave it a 10 out of 100. It says there's nothing here to enjoy beyond well, the a- tiny satisfaction in noting that the movie lives up to its name. A- Didn't A.O. Scott like quit Twitter? Because oh, I don't know. That's a good made- question. Because people made fun of him. G- give me a minute. I uh, Give me a minute. I'll look it up. Yeah, no problem. I mean, if these are the kind of like movie takes that we're getting put out on Twitter, like Twitter can be a brutal place. So I wouldn't be surprised if you put something like that out and then got savaged for it and decided to retire. Scott left his role as a film critic in March 2023 about his departure. He said, I have found that a way that I produce, uh, I have practiced has gotten harder to do. Also, I'm feeling a disconnection between critic and the audience feels so much stronger and gut feels much wider. Essentially, when people when when he did a hot take that people didn't like, people shat on it and he had he's very thin skinned. Yeah. And I guess didn't <laughs> like it. Well, because before social media, like people would have to take time to like write a letter and mail it into the New York Times to tell you you suck. Now it's like, oh, I posted this on Twitter and everyone's telling me I suck. Maybe I'm not too good at this. I'll hang it up. Did Roger Ebert get through? Get 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 to review this because I know oh. he was still alive at that point. <laughs> he didn't get a chance to review this, but I always read Roger when he's uh, available. But uh, ooh, movie line. This was my mom's magazine, so I mean, she didn't own it, but she was the general manager for Movie Line. So I'm surprised uh-huh. that it's on here. It's the first time I've ever seen Movie Line on here. But they gave it a thirty cred- out of a hundred. So that's who was the critic? I don't know. It's not listed, so tough to say. I would have to like do way more digging. Um, but it says punch manages to cram more slow motion into its first few minutes than a season of NFL highlights, all of inception and every one of those NBC promos were the cast of whatever failing police procedural walk menacingly towards the camera. So look, as well, much as this is a savage terror, I mean, we, this movie, <laughs> we, we, you, you go for the slow motion. The slow yeah. motion is Zack Snyder's core. And at least that, review had a sense of humor in what it was saying uh but we were climbing the charts and we we've arrived at the uh the 40 out of 100 section where we've got the hollywood reporter variety or the village voice so i'll let you pick which one you want to go with what was it uh omg that did the variety review uh no it's not listed again hiding uh Go go with go with variety. All right. Variety. Uncredited review here says like Quentin Tarantino, Snyder is unapologetic about his influences. The trashier, the better, though he's far less skilled in the art of pastiche. So uh, basically calling him a knockoff wannabe Tarantino is not very flattering, but surprisingly much higher scored. I'm on. I'm on. I'm on. Rotten Tomatoes, and that's Peter DeBruge. Okay, Peter, you think you could hide from us, but and Ryan, also, uh, the, also that the Hollywood Reporter is famed douchebag Todd McCarthy. Yep, he's cited at least. I can see his name, so <laughs> he doesn't get to hide. Uh, and then let's see. Next is the AV Club. Nathan Rabin. He says Browning has wildly expressive eyes and body language, but she turns wooden when delivering Snyder and Steve Shibuya's alternately purple and stilted banter. Like the film, she seems to regard 
plot and dialogue as necessary evils. Uh, I mean, like she doesn't talk for the first 20 minutes of the film. Like it's not a movie that's about her dialogue. So it's a weird criticism when most of what she is doing is like physical. And it's supposed to be emoting. like that. Yeah, it's supposed to be like that. So he's missing the point, uh, but he still scored it higher than everybody else so far. So go figure. And then uh, we arrive at the highest score on the board, and that's an 80 from the Los Angeles Times. And that's Betsy Sharkey. So it's the first first lady that we have uh, on the review board here. She says a wonderfully wild provocation, an imperfect, overlong, intemperate and utterly absorbing romp through the id that I wouldn't have missed for the world. Hey, you and, know to, and to think Very over uh, and to think over long and the, the theatrical cut was only 110 minutes. Right. So it's not it's 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 shorter than 300. It's shorter than uh, uh, Watchmen. Oh, yeah, it's not it's not as long as like his biggest epics at all. And so even though she accepts it as being maybe over long here, uh, she still gave it 80 out of 100. So uh, definitely the most. Would, would you like would you like me to read one of the positive reviews? Yeah, sure. Go for it. From somebody from uh, the age from from Australia. Heaven help us if we're supposed to feel guilty about watching hot chicks kick ass with guns ablaze, and especially if the spectacle involves fire-breathing dragons. 3.5 out of 5. Hey, there you go. That's a good one. Who is that? Uh, Jim. I can't pronounce his name. Jim from Australia. Good Jim job. Jim from Australia. Uh, uh, the age okay. is his... Uh, he also, in his read, because on Rotten Tomatoes, you can go through, uh, uh, go th- when you click their name, they they have their most recent uh, mm-hmm. reviews. Oh, this will be and, interesting. <laughs> uh, he gave the Haunted, the Haunted Grand Mansion redo a one out of five. Oh, okay. He gave Equalizer three a three out of five. He gave Sound of Freedom three. Of, yeah. <laughs> I don't. Been lost at Sound well, of Freedom. Well, Oh, he hated Asteroid City. I hated Asteroid City, so he he might he, he's tight he's tight with me. <laughs> Got to balance it out with Sound of Freedom, but yeah, you, you take what you can get here. Uh, but yeah, the overall meta score is only a thirty three for uh, Sucker Punch, even though the user ratings for it are it's like a six out of ten. Uh, I'm not looking at Letterbox, but I imagine that it's probably in the neighborhood of like the, a the, two and the, a half the, the, to three star film. The voodoo rating is, I think, a four point two five out of five. Okay. That's pretty, which good. is a lot higher than usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe the 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 Rotten Tomato audience score is like forty three, but also I believe that was also people who saw it when it came out, mm-hmm. and people haven't been willing to go back and rewatch it and and put their take in. Well, I was curious, so I looked at uh, uh, the the Letterboxd. IMDb. The IMDb score is six out of ten, and Letterbox has it as a two point seven, which, like I said, I think is probably between a two and a half and a three, and that kind of lands it smack dab in the middle. But uh, it does have also also a lot in, of ratings. It, also in in semi amusing form on IMDb at least, Soccer Punch has a higher rating than Army of the Dead. As it I should, am not kidding. <laughs> I am not kidding. Army of the Dead is a five point eight, and Soccer Punch is at a six. In in fairness, I would probably have a wider gap between the two, but I understand. Like Army of Army of the Dead, it's not like it's bad. It's just 
I, I was trying to understand like why he made it. And it's like, if he's just like having fun and that's the only reason for the movie to exist, then like, that's okay. You know, I'm not against having fun when you watch movies. Uh, is army. Of, let me see if army of, I, I would assume army of the dead would be his lowest rated movie. Yeah, that's a, that'd be a tough question. I would think so. Yeah. Dawn of the Dead was first, right? Yeah, Dawn of Dawn of the Dead is a seven point three on IMDb, three hundred to seven point six. Watchmen's a seven point six. The Legend of the Guardian, the the Owls of Kahui, is a six point nine sixty nine. Nice. Uh, Soccer Punch is a six. Man of Steel is a seven point one, which is surprising given how much a lot of people didn't like it. Uh, Dawn of Justice is six point five. The Justice League cut is 6.1. The Snyder cut is a 7.9. And Army of the Dead is a 5.8. Well, there you go. Army of the Dead is the the low man on the totem pole. But like, honestly, like if you're just going into it for like fun, it's like a heist movie in the zombie apocalypse. So don't set your expectations too high, maybe. But uh yeah, just as a well, also as a general, it was, like it you was said, as a fan. It was like pandemic fodder. Because it came yeah, out right in the middle of the pandemic. Bit. I know. It was kind of like an awkward thing where, like, if this was sort of event cinema where, you know, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead and they put it out in theaters and you do it around like Halloween or something or maybe put it in the spring and start early in the year where there's not a lot of competition. It maybe is a very, very different um, response to it. But uh, releasing well, it straight also, to Netflix like during the pandemic well, is a tough sell. Well, also, Netflix doesn't like movie theaters. Yeah, not anymore. Oh, didn't they buy one, though? I thought they yeah, bought the, but, they bought the but, one but, that they're refurbishing here in L.A. But but that's for, like, artsy-fartsy movies. <laughs> that's for their artsy-fartsy movies. It's so that like, they can uh, guarantee theatrical releases for the stuff that they want to win Oscars. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty much because Ryan Johnson pissed and moaned enough, uh... Uh, Knives Out 2 Glass Onion got uh, a semi-wide theatrical release with help of, of AMC and Cinemark and Regal, but only for a week. Mm. Apparently they wanted or uh, Ryan Johnson wanted longer. Everybody wanted longer, but Netflix was like, nah, we're going we're gonna to put it in a month or a week, week before Thanksgiving, and then you get to watch it, watch it at home with everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I guess like at Thanksgiving time, that does make a little bit of sense. It's like, hey, you know, people will be home, you know, together as families. We can put this on, but it was doing well in theaters. Like they should have just. It you know, did very. It did great in theaters. For it was at six hundred theaters. I think it did like ten million dollars. So people showed up. Yeah, the screening that I went to, uh, I think it was opening night. Was like almost completely full. So like there was definitely like buzz and energy for it. Uh so well the next big the, the the next big theatrical event will be the uh Taylor Swift Eras tour. Oh I know the concert film. You're going I got my, I'm going. I got I got my ticket. It was a pain in the ass. The the fucking uh uh app froze on me twice. Yeah. But apparently they're saying that that like I think like ten million dollars in pre-sale tickets wow. in like twelve in like six hours, and they said that that only like that this 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 feels like it'll be like a Marvel movie. 
Huh. And and so much so that the Exorcist reboot uh, moved. It was supposed to come out the same day. There were people calling it Extra Swift, yeah, because of Barbenheimer, <laughs> and and then they moved because they realized they were going to get their asses kicked. Yeah, I mean, look. In all fairness, I don't think Exorcist is going to do that well anyway. But you definitely don't want to be going up against Taylor Swift if you can avoid it. Yeah. Also. Also, I think that the ticket sales are doing so well for for theaters because a lot of people got got screwed with Ticketmaster and a lot of the dates and she did a lot of dates, but it was they she didn't go across the country a lot like like the closest to me, I think, was like Philadelphia. Oh, wow. I mean, she came here to L.A., but we couldn't get tickets because they were like. 1500 bucks for top section so we're just like eh, do we want to get gouged on resale that bad no uh for me uh nosebleeds to be in basically to be in the building near the back of the stadium 500 dollars. yeah i mean shit we could have flown to philadelphia stayed in a hotel and gone to see the show for the cost of a single ticket uh <laughs> to here in LA but uh my goodness um but hey hey now we now we get this now we get to see it live from the best seat in the house in a movie theater and yeah. i assume i assume it'll be a, li- a lively crowd if yeah, it for like, sure. like i've 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 gone to the theater for for boxing events and for UFC yeah, people treat it times. like people People treat it like that they're watching it at home. People cheer, people stand, people clap, people scream, people boo. I assume with with Taylor Swift, everybody will sing, everybody will get up and dance when appropriate. Everybody will scream. Yeah, well, when, it was what, yesterday morning, the morning before. I feel like my fiance is like, she got her hand on my back. She's like, wake up. I'm like, what? Can I have your phone? <laughs> okay like so I give, I, yeah i give her the phone and then i'm like trying to go back to sleep and she, then she's telling me she's like yeah the taylor swift thing is coming and like she got tickets but she wasn't sure if she had to get back in line so she wanted to see if she could get better tickets and so now we have tickets to friday and saturday i don't know even what we're gonna do with all these tickets but uh we'll find someone to go with us i'm sure i i, I got tickets for saturday at imax uh the the front row or the only thing that's available in IMAX on Friday is the handicap seats at like at like row two. Wow! So it's so basically you'll be well. looking up. You'll <laughs> be looking up. I know, and those seats don't recline either. Like they no, but they go back a little bit, but not enough to sit in the front row. Do you remember the video of of uh, of the guy in the front oh, yeah. row for Oppenheimer? Oh my God! Killian, Killian Murphy's chin just straight up chin cam. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, I kind of feel like I want to see that version of Oppenheimer because it's going to be so weird to just have it completely like out of proportion like that. But I still have not pulled the tickets on going to see it in the real IMAX yet because it just seems like a pain in the ass. And as I don't want to sit in the front row. Are, are, there, are there still only like front row seats left? That's a good question. Last time I checked, it was basically like the first handful of rows. So I don't know if that's still the case, but shit, I'll just I'll check right now. Let me see. Are they still and playing Oppenheimer am, IMAX 9 p.m. tonight? It, yeah, it's like the first it, three rows are open, basically. Is it is it 70? Yeah, 70 millimeter IMAX. Nice. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm not going to it tonight, but it looks like if I really want to, I probably could get tickets here soon. So I don't know how long they're going to end up leaving it in theaters. You know, it's all weird with these theatrical windows now. I mean, Ninja Turtles is like leaving at the end of this week or something. So or, yeah, yeah, Ninja Turtles hits VOD tonight or today. Oh, OK. So, yeah, end of the week. Uh, and that's sad because Turtles is a good movie. It just didn't really do well. I mean, I didn't expect it to do like crazy I mean, it, numbers, I, but from what I saw, it did well enough. I mean, it de- well, it depends what the break even point is, because if it's really like two and a half times the budget, then, OK, it made its money. So it's going to it's be like okay. I think the budget was like 70 million. Yeah. And I don't know what the full what the full worldwide wide take is. I think I saw it at like 140, 150. So that's not bad. We just yeah, entered, it'll... entered a weird territory where like if oh, if you don't gross a billion dollars, like your movie's a failure. Yeah, it's uh 138 million worldwide. So eh. I, I think I I think they were pretty much waiting on like Japan and China. Yeah. I mean and hopefully people show up because of Jackie Chan and because of the 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 sword fighting and all. Yeah. I mean, it's a good movie. Like if you're listening to this at some point and you're curious about the Ninja Turtles movie, check it out. It's good. It's just I think it came at a time where nobody was really asking for Ninja Turtles. Like the last time we got Ninja Turtles was Michael Bay and it was like nobody asked for it then either. So I think like people's lasting impressions of it are like, yeah, this isn't something I need to see, you know? Well, and also I think a lot of the the like like the good reviews were basically what talked me into it because it's like, eh, do we really need another Ninja Turtles movie? The last one was so terrible. And then I saw reviews like, oh yeah, this is the best one since the originals. This is the best one ever. It's like, all right. And they were right. Yeah. No, I had a good time and, with it. I mean, I was going to go see and, it regardless, but. And also uh, this, and also I believe like the writer's strike kind of hurt or, and like the actor's strike kind of hurt it because like you could have, have, uh, Seth Rogen go out, talk it up, go on the talk shows, have the have all the the the, the, yeah. the teenage slash early twenties actors go out and have some fun. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, like you see the way that Netflix sort of like pimps out all the the kids from Stranger Things to go and do their promotional events. So it's not. It wouldn't be unsurprising to see that the movie like started off slow because people didn't want it. Word of mouth was great. So it had a really good second week, I think. And then it tapered off after that. But we're also in the middle of like the the heightened strike and all that. So. And also, it's the only like family movie out. Yeah. And you could argue a lot of the families are also seeing Barbie, too. Yeah, that's probably a good point. Uh, And then you get and then you get parents are like like. I thought this was going to be for kids. Yeah, I mean, well, it's like because I think you're around my age based on like some of what yeah. you said. Uh, so we mid thirties. Like, yeah, well, I'm late thirties, but yeah, we grew up with mid late thirties being like on TV. Uh, like yeah, the, the on, cartoon on lunchboxes on shirts, like toys, like Ninja Turtles the, was big for kids when we were young. The movie, just, the movies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just don't feel like that that is still the case now. Like, I don't see kids wearing like Ninja Turtles gear, really. Like every now and then I'll see like a backpack or something, but it feels much less um, like culturally dominant in the U.S. than it was when we were young. Well, also, when we when when at least when I was young, uh, the Power Rangers. Yeah, exactly. And they tried to reboot Power Rangers and it's like that didn't exactly get started up again either. 
Apparently, the Netflix thingy that that's kind of a reboot where they kind of bring back some of the original cast apparently is decent. Okay, I haven't wa- I haven't watched it. Yeah, because wasn't there like a movie version of it like two three years ago? Maybe a little bit longer, like five six years ago. The one with Elizabeth Banks uh, as Rita Repulsa. I'm guessing yes. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that one. The one where they kind of tease Tommy at the end, but because they they the movie sucked and the movie tanked, <laughs> nobody. Uh, I mean, in that movie, they don't become the Power Rangers until ninety minutes into a movie that's almost two hours. Yeah, that's not what. So you it's want pretty. Mu- it's pretty Rangers much they, movie. It's pretty much they become the Power Rangers. They had the big fight, and then it's over. Fair point, but because they spent what? ninety minutes on the fucking origin story. Yeah. And that's tough. Like, it's it's a tough balance, especially with an established property. So, I mean, even with Sucker Punch, we're, like you said, what, half an hour in before there's an action sequence. So it's a lot of world building, but we don't know which world is getting built because there's so many different ones yep. at play. And I think that's, you know, it's to its detriment, but I also like the creative DNA that sort of, like, strings all that stuff together and it's got sword fighting. So if you like Ninja Turtles, hey, it's got katana swords. You know, if yep. you like team ups like Power Rangers, it's got a team of women wielding uh, automatic weapons and shooting a bunch of robots. So it's got that. And, going and if too. you if you like the Matrix, there's a lot of slow motion gun battles. If you like if Dungeons big... and Dragons, there's a huge fire breathing dragon in this movie too. If you're a fan of John Woo, you get the slow motion. I I I believe there is a two gun bit. Hmm. Or or, or or there's a bit where where uh, baby doll has a gun. I think it's the uh, the trenches scene. She has a gun and she has a sword. Yeah. So she shoot, shoot shoot shooting one guy with a uh, with a handgun and slashing somebody with another one. Yeah, I would say like the visual style of this film is great. Like it looks fantastic on screen and it's like it's creative choices with how they did the production design with how they did the set piecing. I think all that stuff works really, really well for the most part. So I'm surprised to see that, like, even the people that um, are big fans of Zack Snyder have not necessarily been able to elevate this film in the way that they've done with some of his other work. Yeah, pretty much. I'm I'm looking through uh uh Larry Pope is the uh is the DP and it looks like he did 300 Watchmen. Uh he did not do Man of Steel. Mm. That's a different vibe, you know. And and I don't know if he had like a falling out with uh with Snyder because he's not he hasn't done any of his newer movies. What is it? What has he done that he hasn't done with Snyder? Uh, He was DP on Super 8. Now you see me. Kong Skull Island. Predator or Shane Black's the Predator. I said about that better. He did Chippendale (laughs) Rescue Rangers. Okay. And upcoming, he has something called Damsel. Hmm. All right. So I don't know. He's got something. He's got something. Uh, and we got something, but since we've arrived kind of like at the end, uh, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about? Uh, I would have to think about it. Uh, not that I, not that I can, uh, yeah, we, we did Oscar Isaac having a, we, we you kind of talked about John Hammett, the, 
at the end. But I would have liked more John Hamm because he's a good actor. But like, I understand sort of saving him for the end. And which also means that a lot of his his part got completely cut. Unfortunately, if you saw the movie in theaters. Yeah. But but hey, we almost made it to two hours. We did. So I'll ask you the question that I ask all of my guests, which is if there if if somebody liked Sucker Punch and you're going to recommend another film to them based on this film or if they haven't seen Sucker Punch and you want to recommend a film that's sort of in the neighborhood to get them to take the leap on Sucker Punch, what kind of movie would you say? Uh, could you argue like 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 maybe Atomic Blonde? Although that's more, uh, that's although that's more that's not like quite as CG heavy. I'd say like the others, the the other Snyder movies. That yeah. that's a tough one. What, what would you recommend? I don't know. As I'm thinking, or of that it or now. or that or that's that's maybe not obs- that's more maybe obscure. That oh, I, I kind of thought of one. Uh, did you ever see Pompeii? No. With Emily, where Emily Browning's other big movie, but she's not, she's not the lead. Mm, and it uh, was Paul, it was Paul, uh, Paul W. Anderson, the guy who did the other, the guy who did the Resident Evil movies. Gotcha. And it takes place, and it's like a volcano. It's a big budget PT thirteen volcano movie. Hmm. Yeah, I, and, I heard about it, but I didn't see it. But since you mentioned Resident Evil, I think like probably some of the Resident Evil sequels down the line, probably. I'm a big fan of Apocalypse. Okay, so uh, like I know, I know a lot stuff. of people don't like it. <laughs> yeah, when I talked to Shauna and we did the first Resident Evil for this show, and we kind of like went through all the other ones. We didn't really like spend a ton of time with the other ones, but uh, I was like, I feel like I should probably rewatch them all, start to finish, because I have seen them all, but. I've never like sat down and watched them in order. It was like, well, whenever it comes out, I'll be able to watch it. But it's typically like two or three years, you know, down the line from when I set out to watch it. Yeah, I, I had forgotten this. Uh, Pompeii has Kit Harrington as the lead and a baffling Kiefer Sutherland got the end credit. <laughs> you know how a lot of, you know how a lot of times you if you want like one actor to bring in the international crowd, you put them yeah. as the end. Yeah. Apparently, uh, I was going through Emily Browning's filmography to see what else she's been in because she hasn't been in a lot of this movie. Didn't uh, uh, maybe not push her forward, but push her into like the the, the spotlight, giving her big big time leading roles. Uh, she has a small part in Legend, the Tom Hardy movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. And, and uh, apparently, Class of '07 hmm. is supposed to be decent. Which is on uh, Prime. Okay, I haven't seen that one. But I guess like if I had to think of something that that I would put near this one, I'd say maybe Scott Pilgrim. Because it is like a heavy stylized sort of like fantasy existence plus like this other grounded like reality underneath it. Uh, It's got musical elements as well. Watch you get angry letters. (laughs) <laughs> or, or angry tw- if the, when this podcast goes out it's like it's like oh i haven't seen soccer punch you all talked me into it and you mentioned uh, uh scott pilgrim and then people watch it's like what the fuck is this i'm not saying I'm it's gonna the give- same as scott pilgrim <laughs> <laughs> for the record and, and, and hey uh brie larson was almost in it apparently there you go there's a little bit of uh connective tissue so 
Look, it's the best I could come up with. All right. I put you on the spot hoping for an hey, answer. Yeah. And then you turned it hey. back on me unexpectedly. So either that or like because it's like the Matrix, I guess, like, you know, because of all the slow-mo and the action stuff. But I think because of like the fantasy elements that I'm having a tough time, like giving it a good double f- I mean, double bill, you know? Yeah, this is yeah, yeah, doing something like Bit like a big genre mashup, like like Fire Breathing Dragons, Game of Thrones. But then again, it's nothing. This is nothing like Game of Thrones. Oh, you know, I I have one that I'm thinking of actually. Uh, let me see if that's uh 47 Ronin, the Keanu uh, Samurai movie. Oh, I, I kind of thought of one. Uh, uh, Speed Racer. Oh, okay, that's a good one actually. I like that. Could, could, also, could that be a, a a topic for bad movies we love? Because that Definitely. movie, the, the 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 critics at the time did not like it. I know, and I've I know heard people since say that it's a masterpiece. So I'm very curious to see where the you, where the hammer falls on that. I haven't watched it. You've never seen Speed Racer? No, I used to watch the show, but I never watched the the movie. You should watch the movie. It, it actually that would be a this would be a good good double bill with soccer punch because they're it it's all it it's all I don't want to say green it's all like green screen there's a lot of slow motion it's kind of like a live action cartoon yeah I know it's like I was just I don't know why I hesitated because it's like I like Emil Hirsch and uh, it's the Wachowskis right that made it yeah. Yeah, so it's like it has a lot of the things that I would have done. And I watched the cartoon as a kid, so I should have watched it. I just didn't for some reason. I think probably because critics were like, no, this movie's horrible. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's rated high because I I just checked the IMDb score is still 6.1, but I believe it's of the, the people that like it are really fucking loud about liking it. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, at least if you're going to love something like love it wholeheartedly. Uh, The other movie that I was thinking of, if you really want something that's like female led action film, Tank Girl. And then nobody's (laughs) going to be like, hey, I love Scott Pilgrim. I I was so disappointed when you recommended Sucker Punch. Uh, Watch Tank Girl and Sucker Punch. And I think maybe those are a little bit closer to the same level. But I like both of them. So Ice T is in that movie. He is. And I believe Naomi Watts said that she was embarrassed by it and wants to and disown pretty much disowned being in it. <laughs> but like somebody uh, brought like I think somebody brought it up to her to her like post uh Mulholland Drive and she's like, ill ill I I I wasn't in that movie. Uh, Malcolm McDonald's in it too. No, Tank Girl's <laughs> fun. Uh so yeah, if you like Tank Girl, check out Sucker Punch and vice versa. Definitely don't I, check out Scott Pilgrim and yell at me about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah but that brings us to the, the end of the road my friend um are you working on anything that you want to plug right now uh not that i can think of all right no worries i, I i'm on the twitter slash x i refuse to call it x because i know it's a weird terrible name <laughs> uh so uh, i'm on the twitter at the true defense and the name comes from the south park episode where you have Johnny Cochran yelling about the Chewbacca defense. It does not make sense. If Chewbacca does not make sense, he must have quit. It's a good episode. Uh, I'll make sure that I put uh, your handle on the show notes and everything. I believe, like isn't that, that well. the Chef 8? I believe that's a Chef 8 episode too, right? The, the what? The Chef 8 episode? 
where they got like Ozzy Osbourne, DMX. They oh, made a yeah, whole album. They made a whole album. Master P's on that album. There's a song with Puff Daddy, Mace, uh, Lil Kim, and System of a Down during backing during backing instrumentation. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, I mean, yeah, South Park is such an extensive show at this point. I have trouble keeping track of like what time in history certain episodes came out, but that one came out like, like, yeah, still on, still going. I believe they'll probably go until they, they, they literally can't do it anymore. Yeah. seems that way, but that's good. You know, as, as we've discussed a couple of times throughout the course of this show, it's like creative freedom for the artists. And it's like, obviously they're going to go and do other things if they want to, but they're able to, continuously you know give back to the fan base that supported yeah, you, them for south park yeah, you for could, all these years yeah you could argue that with sucker punch this is Zack snyder at his most create maybe not most creative but but we're we're pretty much the studio let him do whatever he wanted to do yeah and like then the mpa and then chained and then the mpaa said said no you can't nope uh uh you wanted that pg-13 get rid of that scene and then Warner got in, saw the movie. It's like, well, you promised us a a, a badass female-led action movie, and there's no action for the first thirty minutes. And there's a big uh, music, there's a big song and dance number. Yeah, you probably had the execs walking out of that. Like, we're gonna have to have a long chat with Zach after uh, this movie ends. Gonna have some notes for him. Cool. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate you bringing this film to the table because uh, I had a lot of fun rewatching it. And I'm really glad that I, I got too. to see the extended version uh, because I had not seen that yet. So uh, I'm curious to like watch the and, original and version now and see like what the difference is. But I would. Just... It's mainly the song and dance number is no mm-hmm. longer there. The song and dance number is now only at the end credits. And that scene with John Hamm is not in the movie at all. The big, the big scene with John Hamm at the end is no longer in the movie. Well, then I guess my only choice is to recommend the extended cut, which you can buy for six bucks on Apple. I think it was maybe seven, six ninety nine. So yeah, if, if you're gonna rent a movie for four bucks, you might as well just buy this one for seven, get the extra twenty minutes or whatever, and get the full experience of the film. And if you can, four K. Yes, if you can, the, if your TV yeah. supports 4K, go for it. Yeah, uh, I briefly mentioned it, uh, but uh, like the first 15, 20 minutes, it almost feels like it's sepia tone with very few color. And then like like once you get into like fantasy sequences and the music, the big song and dance number, the colors like explode like it yeah. was made for for 4K and IMAX and. Apparently, this does not have a physical 4K release. It's only on digital. Well, we got to lead the charge and bust Warner Brothers balls until they give us a nice 4K Blu-ray, Ultra HD, director's cut, and the real and and the real and the Snyder cut. Exactly the one that the the one that has the the additional Emily Browning uh, musical number at the end. Yeah, maybe maybe by the time we get to 20 years, we've got what seven years. Of groundwork uh, delay before the 20 year anniversary comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Zack Snyder will be almost 60. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, we got to start the grassroots movement now. Scott Glenn might not be here. Scott Glenn might not be here anymore. Yeah. 
because he's old? Is he close to 80? He's got to be. I mean, this movie was 13 years ago, so he's probably. In and, and he looked old then. Yeah. Well, Scott Glenn, wasn't I hope Scott, you hang what, around to the 20 year anniversary. Wasn't Scott Glenn in. Uh, 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 he was in uh, Silence of the Lambs, right? Was he? Who was he in Silence of the Lambs? Was he like one of the. Detectives? I thought for sure he was in. I thought for sure he was in Silence of He is. He's Jack. Jack Crawford. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. A, a much younger version of Jack Crawford, but yeah, yeah. So there you go. You can do the whole. Also, would you like to know what what year uh, Scott Glenn was born in? Sure. Nineteen thirty nine. Damn. All so right. so the chances of him making it to the twentieth anniversary, I believe he'll be like ninety. Yeah. Or no, no. Excuse me. He'll be ninety one. All right. Well. You know, from your mouth to God's ears, let's uh, let's hope that Scotty can make it to the 20th or that we speed it up and do a 15 year uh, 4K physical Blu-ray director's cut for Sucker Punch. Uh, but Ryan, again, I want to thank you for your time and for uh, helping me thank with you. the show. Uh, and again, for bringing Sucker Punch to the table, it's it's a movie that wasn't like on my radar because I just I always liked it. So I didn't really like think to second guess whether or not it was like as poorly received as it was. But yeah, I, I remember it fits the bill for this show. Yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, yeah. I saw your uh, I've seen your podcast listed at or you call when you call it bad movies we love and. You could debate on bad movie, the bad movie part, but critically, critically, yeah. it was it was <laughs> not liked at all. Nope. But hey, you know what? It doesn't always matter. We love it. So we had fun with it. And so I, I, I suggest other people, if you haven't seen it, if you're afraid because of its reputation, don't be afraid. You know, take the leap. It's only a couple hours. Uh, it's visually incredible. It really gives you all of the sort of Zack Snyder style that you've become accustomed to throughout his filmography. And, you know, like Ryan said, you know, it's got, it's, it's, it's not Scott. Glenn. It's, 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 it's Zack Snyder at his most, I want to say on hinge. Yeah. Where, where, where he gets, where he gets to pretty much do whatever he wants to do say his most unhinged and his most unencumbered and then the studio still stepped on it so yeah D- director's cut god damn it uh but anyway thank you my man uh appreciate your time have a good night you too and uh, we'll talk soon thank you once again to ryan for joining me it was great to sit down and revisit sucker punch you can catch him talking movies on x at the chew defense spelled just like it sounds and of course thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode i know you have a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts and i appreciate you spending your time with us i hope you enjoyed the show and if you do please consider leaving a rating and telling a friend about it and the new support page is live at coffee.com that's ko-fi.com slash bad movies we love I'd love to hear from you, so if you have a bad movie you love and or maybe would like to be a guest on the show, you can contact me now at badmovieswelove at thescheiss.com or badmovieswelove on Twitter and Instagram, and that's love with an L-U-V. And as always, take care, be well, stay safe, and have fun 
however you get your movies.